This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. Today's guest is Maisha Battle. She's a certified sex and dating coach and the author of This is Supposed to be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between. It comes out later this month. Today, Maisha and I chat about how to navigate modern dating. She shares some helpful advice for understanding your values and showing up authentically, ways to manage dating burnout, and how to be your own best advocate so you can get what you really want out of dating. It was such a pleasure to chat to Maisha, so let's get right to our conversation. Well, Maisha, it's amazing to be talking to you this morning. I'm really excited to dig into all things dating and also really get your perspective on how you see sex and also intimacy folding into the dating process. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to help our listeners get to know you a little bit. Can you share a little bit about your background and telling us how you got here? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Erica. I'm excited to be here too. So my name is Maisha Battle. I am a sex and dating coach and I'm based in San Francisco. Because I'm a coach though, I see people literally all over the world, which is amazing. My approach to sex and dating coaching is with a feminist lens and my background is in public health, but also studying sexology, gender, all with this kind of overlay of intersectionality. So really acknowledging that a person's lived experience is going to impact the way that they move through the world and experience intimacy, sex, and relationships. 
So yeah, my client base is super diverse, which I'm grateful for. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is that as far as I know, the book that I wrote, This is Supposed to be Fun, is kind of the first, you know, more inclusive approach to a dating book. And first and foremost, it's that it incorporates sex at all. Most dating guides are, you know, how to snag a man or how to bag a babe. And not only are those incredibly limited frameworks for a lot of folks who aren't heterosexual, it also leaves out the lived experiences of a lot of people who maybe don't experience sex and dating the same way that pop culture portrays it. So I wanted to provide a framework that people could take with them that felt like my approach to client work. So the ultimate goal was to kind of take my approach with coaching clients and give that to a larger audience. And that's kind of what's what's brought me here today. So let's talk a little bit about your new book. This is supposed to be fun. You write about most people struggling with honesty when it comes to sex and dating. In fact, in the book, you actually write the biggest paradox of modern dating is that we have so much freedom when it comes to self-presentation that we can be our authentic selves like never before, or we can be someone else entirely. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think that a lot of my clients feel an external pressure as we all do, and I think this is largely influenced by social media, to present in a certain way that is palatable, that is approachable, lovable, fuckable, however you want to frame it. And that might not have been (laughs) an option for people in the past in the way that creating an image for yourself in a digital medium provides. So yes, I think that we have seen this rise in like authenticity, quote unquote, on the internet, but like how much of it is really authentic? How much are people putting their true selves, desires, wants, needs, and vulnerabilities out there? I would argue probably very little because some of that stuff is is hard to do for the person, for the individual. It's also hard from a dating perspective to feel like, well, why would I do that if that's going to limit my choices. And so my approach to dating is really like, no, limit your choices. <laughs> you know, like it can be a major slog to get through multiple matches, you know, going through the process of vetting potential, you know, dates. And so what I try to encourage is quality over quantity in most things in my life, but in dating with my clients specifically. So yeah, I think it's it's tricky because people do want to put that best face forward and I, I get that, but there's a way to put your best qualities forward in in such a way that it actually attracts people that are going to be good for you as opposed to just making it seem like this is your some idealized version of yourself and you're going to attract people that aren't necessarily clued into the person that you actually are. So when you talk about the person you actually are, you dig into values in your book, talking about how important it is to define your values when you're dating. Talk a little bit more about that, because I think it's really interesting to think about values depending on why you're dating and whom you're dating. How do you Mm -hmm. feel values weave into all of that? Yeah, well, this kind of goes back to my client work where, you know, sexual values became something that was like a natural extension of what I was working with my clients on. 
because in the world of coaching, values are huge. You know, if you go to a career coach, they're going to talk about what your career values are. Like, what do you want? Do you want autonomy? Do you want to be part of a community? Do you want to be values aligned with the company that you work for, et cetera? And to me, incorporating values was just a way of like extending that coaching framework into the field of sexology and saying that we as human beings actually do have sexual values. There are things that are innately important to us that might be difficult to talk about. And there are so many things in sex that are difficult to talk about. So words are important and values give us those words, those tools to communicate what it is we're looking for. They're also great for troubleshooting in partnership. So I work with my clients to discover their sexual values while they're dating. And I also use it as a tool for couples to to help them to have more productive conversations when there's a misalignment in their sex lives. So, you know, a sexual value might be honesty, respect, kink, you know, and so putting those things out there in a way that feels good for you might be really helpful for attracting people that are looking for something similar or is directly aligned with your values. I say sexual values in the book, but I also provide a caveat that they might, it might feel more right for my readers to understand them as relationship values, you know, because so much of who we are in our sex lives does translate into relationships of many different shapes and forms. So I wanted to give people permission to, if they don't feel great about having sexual values, that's okay. You can call them relationship values, but the exercise that I provide in the book is an exercise that I do with my clients. And it's based on, you know, thinking about when sex or a sexual experience was really, really good, what was present qualitatively in that experience that you can pull from and then ascribe words to. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spot in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So you described kink as a value. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so this has come up in a lot of my work with clients where they're searching for some kind of experience or quality to their partnership. And they don't necessarily want to come right out and say that it's kink. And that's fine. Kink is basically this umbrella term that describes anything that is not vanilla sex. 
vanilla sex we would understand as penis and vagina sex, pretty much, you know, your standard positions, right? Nothing too quote unquote crazy. But I have a lot of clients who have discovered through their sexual journey that, for instance, power play is really something that they crave in a sexual dynamic. And they're on the apps and they're looking for that power play dynamic and they're trying to suss that out through just like the generic matching process and they continue to be let down. What do you mean by power play? I mean, so something that would look like a dominant submissive relationship where someone is providing some kind of, you know, power expression. And then the person on the receiving end of that power expression is able to be in a submissive role. So it's it's either role play or it could be, there's so many flavors of kink that could be its own show, but it, it could be as in a lot of cases with my clients that they're looking for a certain type of physical expression also. So someone who is capable of, you know, exerting force on their body, for instance, and that could be through impact play or holding them down in a safe way. So this is the reason why I think it's so important to express if that's something you're looking for to embrace it as a value, because it does give you a better qualitative experience of sex, but also because of the safety piece. You know, a lot of my clients were wanting to get these power play experiences or dynamics from relationships, and they're trying them out with people who aren't well-versed in kink and don't have a lot of guardrails when it comes to safety. And so it's also a way to say to the world, like, this is what I'm looking for. And almost like I'm labeling it because I want to be responsible. I want to to call people into my life who are going to be responsible and respectful of me, but who understand that that is something that is inherently valuable to my sexual experience. Thinking about our own sexual experience or self-pleasure, you talk a lot in the book about why masturbation is really important while dating. Why do you feel that way? And why is it important? Yes, I am a huge proponent of masturbation, generally speaking, for a couple of reasons. One is, I think it's a great way for people to understand their own sexual needs and desires, their turn-ons, also, you know, what types of stimulation they like and how and for how long, etc. I do think that there's also this, you know, gender split between people's experience of masturbation or, you know, maybe how they feel about it. Don't get me wrong. Tons of my clients across the the gender spectrum have some guilt and shame associated with masturbation. But I think generally speaking, male-bodied folks tend to be encouraged culturally, you know, again, broad strokes, generalization, to explore their genitalia. And part of it is proximity, too. I try to explain to people, you know, if, you know, female-bodied folks' genitalia was external, I think we would also explore a little bit more or like more visible, right? But yeah, I think this is something that people do carry a lot of shame around about. And so dating is this way to like, stop masturbating. (laughs) Once I find a partner, I don't have to do this thing anymore. Where I argue that masturbation helps you to stay in touch with your sexual energy, 
It's something for maintenance when you don't have a partner available for sure, but it's also just a way to sort of energetically keep sexual interest alive for yourself, whether you're partnered or solo. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I encourage it. I, I, especially too, when I work with, with clients who are in partnered relationships where the sex has kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside or isn't meeting either person's expectations. It's one of the first things that I check in on, like what's everybody's masturbation pattern and frequency and, you know, how do people feel about it? Because sometimes when that has gone away, then sexual connection can also die with it because sexual desire is not a primary drive. We call it sex drive, but the desire for sex, as I understand it, is far more cyclical. It's also got this sort of use it or lose it component to it because we don't need sex to live. So it's not going to be something that's readily available to us at all times of our life. That's just facts. And the ways in which we can bring that sexual energy forward include masturbation, solo play, you know, a a sensual practice with ourselves. So I believe firmly that the work starts at home whenever there's a sexual concern, and especially if people have had a history of a lot of guilt and shame around masturbation, reclaiming that for yourself is incredibly powerful. So what are your hard and fast rules when it comes to online dating? Like what's the, what are the do's and don'ts? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole section in the book about like, don't, don't lie about certain things. I, I don't think it's helpful to lie about your age or your job or, you know, big aspects about yourself, because if you are looking for connection, particularly long-term connection, you're going to be found out. And that kind of early lie can be detrimental to deepening a connection with someone later on. That's my rationale for it. People can take it or leave it. I know a lot of people are like, I lie for my age, you know, about my age because it helps, you know, get me X, Y, Z. And that's fine. Continue living that way. I'm not going to judge you for it. But I do think that, as I have seen, when that piece of information is revealed at a certain point, it causes problems. So yeah, if that's a risk you want to take, that's fine. Other than that, I never have any hard and fast rules for dating. I think that there are there's guidance that I try to give my clients in terms of how to manage the tools they're using. So I think that's one thing that I think I can say is pretty consistent that I tell all my clients is that if you're app dating, the apps are tools. They don't run you, you run them. And I feel like a lot of people feel run by the apps. And that's not a coincidence. The apps use gamification. There's intermittent reinforcement in like showing you periodically that you have matches so that you're drawn in all the paid features are the ones that'll save you time. So they're just trying to, you know, get you to pay money. Some of them are really worth the time saving if you can do it. But, you know, most of my like consistent quote unquote rules or, or do's and don'ts surface around how people engage with the process. And it mostly centers around, you know, bringing the focus back to my client and letting it less be less about what everyone else is doing and focus more on what they want from the process. And what about offline dating? You know, a lot of people miss that, wish it was more available. 
you know, for those who are just like, I can't do the apps, what's your advice for, you know, negotiating online, negotiating offline dating? Yes. I have had clients who just vehemently, you know, will not go on dating apps, which is fine. Like, I think that some of the things that I help them explore about themselves and their sexual values and what they want and how they want to feel from dating still apply to in-person. A lot of the folks that I've worked with, I've noticed they tend to be more extroverted, the folks that really want that in-person experience. And it's cool to watch them take what we work on together out into the real world and strike up more conversations even with people who they feel more aligned with. So again, I think the work starts at home and the book is full of exercises, you know, helping people to understand what it is that they really want without the layer of, you know, our culture, our upbringing, all of these things that sort of tend to get packed on top of what we truly want as individuals. Once we can shed all of that and be very real with ourselves about how we want to live our lives and with whom and why, then even in-person dating becomes a lot easier because you know the right questions to ask because you know what you want to know from people, (laughs) you know, instead of putting yourself in this position of, you know, I have to sell myself. I have to be the best version of me every single time I go out. It's more like, I get to be this curious person, meet a lot of people who may or may not be a good match for me, but have in the back of my mind, this assessment criteria that I'm taking forward into every new interaction that I'm having. So yeah, I think again, that that values piece is really key. And then taking that forward and using that as a way to filter your interactions in the world. I also recommend for people who want in-person experiences too, you know, try to reconnect with communities that are aligned with their interests. So that's kind of similar to values, especially for kinky people, (laughs) you know, like finding a community where you can feel safe to play with like-minded people could be a really great opportunity. But even outside of sexual communities, I think that I've encouraged people to join meetup groups or become active in a local organization that they feel really passionate about where they our values aligned with the people there. And maybe they won't meet somebody directly there. Maybe they will meet people through those communities, but giving themselves the opportunity to, to be in community with people who might be values aligned is also a helpful opportunity. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. So thinking about community, a lot of us want to talk to our friends or family when we start dating someone. What's your opinion about that? Like seeking advice early on in the dating journey? Yeah, it's tricky. Some of us have friends who are sex coaches, (laughs) like my my friends. (laughs) Um, But 
some of us have friends who grew up with the same sex negative messages that we did or have more limited views about what relationships quote unquote should be than we do. So it can be tricky to bring this up. For instance, I've, I've worked with clients who have, you know, shared with me that they've come to a really great epiphany about themselves. And this is like before we work together and they share with me and I told my friend, you know, this is what I want. This is what I, you know, with excitement, like, ah, I think I know. And their friends would be like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not possible. What are you talking about? Why would you want that? Right. So just be careful, I think, about like what you're getting back and also recognize that some of what you might be getting back, if it's not in alignment with what you really, truly feel about yourself, might be coming from that place of sex negativity or might be coming from that place of feeling like there's only one way to do relationships when there's literally like a bajillion ways to do relationship. So, you know, if you have those close friends that you can have you know, really dialed in nuanced conversations about like what it is you want, why you want it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. That sounds great. I hope you find that. Those are the folks to continue to divulge your true self to, right. And like, say, this is what I'm doing. And I've also had clients that say like, I'm on this journey solo. I don't talk to anybody about this except my dating coach. Right. And that's fair too. I, I fully respect either perspective. But if you do have those people in your life that are supportive, who really can hear you and receive you, that's powerful. And that can help you move more quickly towards your goal. That makes a lot of sense to me too, of just, yeah, determining within your trusted group of friends, which of them is the right audience for what your goals are with whomever you're seeing you know there's a friend that might be more supportive of you know less attached dating experiences to you know it's totally fine to just like have a lot of sex and have it not be serious and that's okay and then there's friends who are very much on the commitment trajectory and those people are great for those types of conversations so it's really just trying to anchor yourself to the to the best audience possible when having those conversations. Yeah. And we do this with other aspects of life too. Like I know which friends I would like to go to when I need, you know, career advice. Right. I know people who are going to be like a really good sounding board for me to figure things out. And I feel like sex and dating should be the same way, but because so much, so many of us carry around a lot of shame, it's easy to internalize. Like when someone gives you a negative, you're like, oh yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't want that. You know, I guess that isn't possible. And, and maybe I should be redirecting. So if you find yourself after any conversation going like, oh, maybe I should, then yeah, think, and I don't know, there's, there's well-meaning friends that are going to tell you what to do and, and, you know, take that with a grain of salt too. But I feel like if you feel really comfortable with something that you've come to know about yourself and someone else receives that negatively, that's, that's the red flag. So talking about red flags, a lot of people get dating burnout because of how many first dates they have to go on. How do you make a first date exciting when you're going on a high volume of dates? How do you kind of manage or 
negotiate that feeling of dating burnout, especially when it comes to first dates. Yeah. Yeah. So many people have come to me after like, say a year of yes, or, you know, they've decided to be more open and just try out as many people as, as the apps will allow for. And I think this is great to stay open to possibility, but it really does have a wearing down effect on your experience of dating because, you know, we, we are all busy. We have lives and families and friends and obligations and dating can feel like another to do. And so one of the ways that I try to help my clients streamline and and keep dating burnout at bay is to limit their interactions. So what that means is, you know, going back to my earlier statement about quality over quantity, maybe doing a little bit more vetting before you meet people to see if there is the potential for what you're looking for before you commit to in-person. Because honestly, you know, in-person dates are the most exhausting. You have to like physically go somewhere and then you're like nervous and having to navigate that and take on or take in the other person's energy and your thinking, but you're also trying to be present. It's just, it's a lot. So working on the back end to like communicate with people, ask them a lot of questions, maybe even have like a video date before you meet. The pandemic kind of normalized the video date. So that's a way where you could have like a quick 30 minute getting to know you conversation and also get a sense of that person's energy. Cause I've had people who have been like, yeah, we did a video like screening, <laughs> you know, of this person and their energy was off and like, maybe they were just having an off day, but like, then don't have a date with us. Right. And it tells you a lot about a person and it, it's, it's interesting to, to be able to put yourself in that position of, you know, my time is valuable. I want positive and exciting experiences. And so in order to do that, I need to maybe put more energy on the matching and vetting process than I typically would so that these in-person experiences are actually energizing. They're actually something I look forward to. They're not something that I'm dragging my feet, you know, as I'm walking out the door going, ugh, another date, you know, this is going to be whatever, you know, <laughs> like that's not a great way to show up for any date. Right. So I think it's really important for people to consider energy management in their dating process. And, and the, the book gives like tips and tools for even creating a, da- a dating schedule for yourself. What would a dating schedule look like? Yeah. I've recommended that people, especially those who are like on multiple apps, consider how much they want to be engaged with them each day or week. So you might start by saying like, all right, like I could handle 15 minutes a day of swiping and try that. And it still feels like too much. That's fine. Then maybe it's 15 minutes every other day, you know? And then in terms of allocating time for dates, you know, I've had people tell me they go on like three, four dates a week. To me, that's too much. So we scale that back and say, okay, if you do a three hour date once or twice a week, that's okay. And then what are the days of the week that you typically have the most flexibility? So, you know, if you're somebody who's working from home, maybe any day of the week is okay, but maybe you have the most energy midweek, you know, maybe it's not a Friday, 
that you plan to go out because Fridays are crazy and maybe you don't even like the bar scene, right? So thinking about energy management in those terms too, of like, what's going to make me comfortable? What can I advocate for? What, you know, my own, my own preferences, my own desires, like so many people commit to lackluster dates that they're not excited about when I think you could just be like, let's not do that. Let's go to this other place on this day. And I think a lot of people are ashamed or like afraid to speak up for themselves that early in the process. But that's actually super important for communicating your needs and making that a part of the dating process. Everyone has needs, you know, and everyone deserves to be comfortable. So advocating for that comfort, whether it's like, oh, I'd prefer to go on a date on this day instead, or I'd rather go to this place, that's going to help you to be more successful in managing your own dating energy. So you mentioned dragging your feet a couple minutes ago, and it, it brings me to think about ending things. How do you break up with someone gracefully? You also use this quote, leave it better than you found it, or um, or a section in the book called Leave It Better Than You Found It. I, you know, how do you do that? How do you leave it better than you found it? How do you bring something to a close in a way that feels graceful? Yeah, I think it's hard. So I want to acknowledge that first and foremost. And breaking up is the worst part of dating. You know, nobody likes it. No one likes being the person who has to break up with someone and no one likes being on the receiving end of being broken up with. I mean, I can t testify on both sides. And so I really wanted there to be a specific chapter about how to end things kindly, because we could all do with, with more of that. And I think most of us don't have good examples of what that looks like because of our own experiences in the past because of relationship fallouts that we've seen in our families. And so we don't have a really good model, but fortunately through working with my clients, I've, I've seen some really thoughtful and beautiful breakups, which is, is awesome. I think even for people who have been together a few months, the sort of conversations around breaking up can be, difficult and emotionally charged. But part of the way that we can move forward a little bit easier, and hopefully, you know, with a, a good, good view of ourselves in the end, is by being pretty specific about why it is that we think things aren't working out, giving the other person an opportunity and, and to like have an insight into our thinking of, you know, and, and they can disagree, you know, it's, it's still a breakup, right? People can <laughs> disagree about what's working or not working in a relationship. But ultimately, if you decide that it is, isn't working for you, that's your choice and you get to move on, right? The other thing too, is I think you can control to, to a larger degree, your own actions and your own words. And so being careful and thoughtful about how things will land is important. Choosing a place that feels respectful to do the breakup is important. Mm. Yeah. Like I've had a couple clients who are like, this guy tried to break up with me in like a public park. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm crying and like people are walking by and it, it, it's just, it's demeaning, you know? 
and maybe people don't feel that way, right? Like other people might not feel that way, but I think it is important to sort of think about context and think about delivering bad news with care. And there is a way to do that. But I think that most of us just struggle and want to rip the bandaid off and maybe say things we Mm. don't mean. So a little, you know, forethought and planning and really thinking about your own intentions goes a long way. It does go a long way. And I think, you know, as we circle up on this conversation, what's, what's one piece of advice you want anyone who's out there, who's feeling like, I just, I'm tired. I don't really even want to do this anymore. How do you suggest they reframe that for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily offer a reframe. I I often meet my clients where they're at and like check in with them. If you're really tired, if you feel depleted, if you feel defeated, even, you know, a lot of my clients come to me feeling pretty defeated in their dating lives. It's okay to take a break. You know, I do think there's a lot of external pressure especially because of the convenience of the apps to just like be constantly on them. And, and if you're not having a large degree of quote unquote success to keep doing something like that is, is really soul sucking, (laughs) you know, again, I speak from experience. So what I noticed for myself is every time I took a break from dating, I came back with a renewed energy for the process and a little bit more information, a little more data about why I was doing what I was doing. And that motivation changed from like month to month, you know, I think giving yourself that grace and permission to take a break, to get recentered, to do other things you love, you know, spend time with people that you care about, who care about you and can fill you up again. That's part of the dating process too. You don't have to be constantly in it to get what you want, especially if being constantly in it makes you feel miserable. You know, the the subtitle for the book is how to find joy in hooking up, settling down and everything in between because I really did want people to feel like there, there should be more of the good stuff in this current dating era. I think we're bogged down by so many shoulds. And now that we have these tools, oh, we can just have everything at our fingertips. No, it doesn't work like that. And when it doesn't work like that, it can feel like a huge disappointment, but that's the time to like give yourself a break and then recommit, you know, recommit later when you're like, okay, like, I think I want to try dating again and really listen to those signals that you're telling yourself, you know, that's the most important person to be listening to, honestly. Thanks for listening to my chat with Myesha Battle. Her book, This Is Supposed To Be Fun, is out January 24th. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.